Hi guys, welcome to Life on Earth podcast. I hope everybody's doing great. Uh, This week I had a chance to sit with the host, Michael, of Falling Up Radio, in which he interviewed me. So today's episode, that's what it's going to be about. And here are some highlights of the show. Um, We talk about my yoga journey and how I started when I was a child and how that has changed and transformed over the years. We talk about meditation and the many benefits of meditation in everyone's life in today's world. Uh, We talk about India. We talk about lots of influential teachers that I've studied with. Um, We talk about living a healthy lifestyle, an optimal life, and what does that mean? Uh, We also talk about rescuing animals, and we talk about... um, some techniques for meditations and tools. So I hope you can join. This is Michael's show. He basically sent me the audio file, and I am sharing this with you guys on Life on Earth since he interviewed me. I'm always interviewing people for our show, so I thought it might be interesting for you to see sort of like, um, you know, reversing this role, turning the tables around, and I hope you enjoy the show. If you do like this show, a couple of things you can do uh, to help us out at Life on Earth podcast and the community. Share it with your friends and send this show and this episode to anyone who might benefit or might enjoy if you can brighten someone's day. And the more we can spread the message, the more we can make the planet a better world, a better planet, um, it will be fantastic. And I really appreciate your support. Um, Also, another way is I want to tell you guys that I am going to uh, gift you, Life on Earth listeners, this is a limited offer. I have a course, it's a yoga course on Udemy. It consists of over 20 short videos, one video that's over one hour of yoga practice consecutive as well as an audio file and a ton of articles. The name of the uh, Udemy course, which by the way, you can you can use your Udemy, you can download it on your phone, on your iPad, computer. It's really practical. Um, it's called Vinyasa Flow Yoga for Beginners. This course is really great for people who are starting a yoga, Vinyasa yoga practice, But it's also great if you are an intermediate. And even I have been told by yoga teachers that this course is really great for teachers because what I'm doing here is really kind of looking at the fundamental, the fundamental aspects of a yoga practice in a flow yoga context, vinyasa. And we sort of like break that down. And I'm very specific about sequencing and kind of like where, when to, Uh, align each posture with what and you can kind of mix and match those little videos to create your own practice depending on how much time you have to dedicate to your practice that day and if you want a longer version you can do the whole full over one hour um, practice so anyways the one hour video is really good for all levels I mean even if you're advanced you can still enjoy. So yes, I'm giving that to everyone. This is a limited offer. But here is what I would ask you is if you want to take advantage of this offer, um, the course sells on um, 
Udemy for, I believe it's $49, maybe $49.99, something like that. So almost 50 bucks. And I will give it to you for free in return if you go and assist us, help us out by going on iTunes, Apple Podcasts, and give us a five-star review. Give us a five-star review. This really goes a long way for the show. It assists me and it helps me with creating more episodes that are really great for you. I have lots of ideas. I've been really busy this past couple months because I've been working, um, finishing my book. But hopefully soon that's going to be released and that's going to change a lot of things. So um, anyways, go give us a five-star review. Tell me uh, why you like the show. And then take a screenshot of this and email it to natalie, N-A-T-H-A-L-I-E, at lifeonearthpodcast.com with your screenshot. And I will reply to your email and we'll send you a password, okay, a code and a link so that you can go on Udemy on your phone or computer and you can have lifetime access to this course 100% gifted to you. And I really hope you enjoy the Udemy course too, because um, not only it took me a really long time to create it, but I, I am very proud of the product. So anyways, that's that. Hope everyone's enjoying the summer, wherever you are. If it's summer, if, you're, if you are in the US, maybe you're not. Uh, so anyways, just enjoy whatever it is that you're doing in your life and enjoy this episode, you guys. Talk soon. Bye-bye. Hi, my name is Michael Harris. I'm host of Falling Up Radio. I'm really excited that you're here, and I'm really excited to get to our, our guest. We're going to have a really fascinating show today. First, though, I, I want to mention, I don't know where you're listening to this, whether you're watching the video online at the website at fallingupradio.com or you're listening to one of the audio podcasts, Stitcher or Apple Podcast or some of the other places. But I did want to mention to you that you can go to the website, again, fallingupradio.com and get a free copy of this book, Falling Down, Getting Up. This book was actually uh, number one in yoga, in stress, and in recovery. So I invite you to get that book online at the website. And I really want to tell you, I mean, this show is really about, I mean, I called it Falling Up Radio, kind of after this book, Falling Down, Getting Up, to really give people the idea that no matter how far we've fallen, that we can get back up. As a matter of fact, sometimes falling is actually great fertilizer for growing and coming back up again. So I wanted to mention that before we get to our guest, um, this, our guest is this really super fascinating. Uh, we started connecting a, a couple of months ago, and um, she's a fellow yogi too. She, she had a little different path than I did. And I'm going to chop up her name a, a little bit, but I'm also going to tell you a little bit about her, and then we're going to bring her on and have a really great, fascinating discussion today. So Natalie Kra, again, she's going to probably uh, – changes again. She um, has been practicing yoga for a great part of her life, about 20 years, a little bit more. She loves to teach yoga. She's done a lot of Ashtanga yoga, spent a lot of time 
in India with Batabi Joyce and some, some other teachers. She's worked extensively and practiced extensively at Yoga Works with a number of teachers there Well, as well. She has led yoga retreats around the world. She's uh, been a presenter at Wonderlust and a few other places. She's dived into Course in Miracles with Marianne Williamson. I mean, the, the list goes on and on. She does life coaching sessions. She has a daily meditation and yoga practice, which I want to talk a little bit about the meditation as well, because that's so big today. So let's bring her on. Welcome to our show, Natalie. Hi, Michael. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to be here. I've been looking forward to talking to you for a while now. And uh, also wanted to say hello to all of your listeners, because you guys have an amazing thing going on. So I'm happy to be a part of your community. Yeah, welcome. So I want to jump into to something that happened today that we just touched bases on momentarily. You went out and you rescued a duck today. Yes, I did. I rescued a duck and I was telling you my day did not go as I planned. That's how these things happen when you're dealing with animals, you know, and rescuing animals, which I have now for a while. I'm very passionate about all animals. And so I went on my, uh, on, a, on a Facebook group page that I'm a member and somebody said that a duck had been attacked by a dog because mm -hmm. two dogs were going around in this neighborhood without a leash. And that's a problem. So, I, I, you know, it was really nice if everybody could keep their dogs on the leash. So these dogs attacked these lovely uh, ducks. There was two, but one got badly injured as a girl. She's all white and a uh, really pretty duck. And so um, I uh, volunteer with wildlife rehabilitation in Louisiana. So there's a training that you can go through with this. And as a wildlife rehabilitator volunteer, you know, I have to get the okay and permission with them. And if, it all depends if we have space. A lot of times we don't have space in these facilities and we have veterinarian cares and, you know, all that. Once I get everything approval, um, they send me to the rescue. And so I went, had to find this bird. It was really hard to find it. And then, of course, catch it was really hard. But then very happy ending, was able to catch it, put, you know, put her in a cage and bring her straight to this avian vet. He's a professional and uh, she's now being well taken care of and at the vet. And then what, what the cool thing is, we don't release these birds back wherever. We, they're actually, it's part of the program that they have to be released in a sanct an animal sanctuary. So yeah. she's going have really good life. So, yeah. yay, good. yay. Yeah. <laughs> you, you, you know, I, I live real close to the river by my house. I'm about two blocks away. And I walked down the, the river uh, this morning. And I love walking along the river and, we have a couple of big swans living right down here. And um, I just love watching the swans. And I know one day, um, it was a couple of years ago now, that there was a duck down there with a arrow through its head. Um, and it was just swimming around like it didn't even have the arrow. Mm, mm. But eventually it got rescued too and, um, and got saved. So... Um, nice you know one thing that i've learned about animals i mean animals teach us every day but one thing that i learned you talk about the arrow is that they're very um resilient i mean you know they really they deal so well with pain and just you know they do the best with they can with what they have sometimes i see these animals really injured and they're just like you know walk, still trying to walk breathe i mean they're very brave very courageous and i really admire that yeah yeah. Well, let, let's, let's get into a little bit more yoga. <laughs> about you and yoga. 
I'm, I'm really fascinated because you have been practicing yoga for a long time, for a good part of your life. Yeah. And can, can you tell the listeners a little bit about when you started and, and why you started? Yeah, I'll try to put uh, the whole big story in kind of a nutshell so um, that way everybody can not spend too much time on that, but, but still know. So basically, when I was a very, very young, I come from a family and that I think plays a little bit of a part with the yoga that moved around a lot. Um, my parents worked for, an, my, my stepdad worked for an international company, so I had to move with my mom and him and my, my brothers all the time. And at that point, when I was nine years old, 10, around that age, I lived in Mexico City. Um, I'm originally French Brazilian. My dad's from France. My mom's Brazilian. And I literally lived in multiple countries growing up. Went to like 14 schools. One time I counted. It's kind of crazy. Uh, so uh, there was a lot of instability in my life, you know. And the yoga, when I came across the yoga, which I'll tell you guys how, it really gave me this ground, like very grounding, stabilizing. Like it gave me, it was almost like coming back home. And I really needed that because I didn't really feel like I had that growing up. Like too much. I mean, I had my family unit, but you know, I mean, moving from school to school was very challenging as a child. So um, anyways, one of my best friends who I considered family at the time, her mother and again, I was about nine or 10 was it? And we were friends for many years. Um, she was a devotee of Guru Mai, who is the guru, the main sort of guru teacher of Sita Yoga, or at least she was back then. And uh, Sita Yoga is a form of yoga that's mostly uh, meditation, chanting, and devotional scriptures and things like that. Not a lot of asana practice. So she, what happened is we used to play Barbies, and I would see her altar, you know, and her altar had an incense, can, you know, a regular yogi altar, and. I was fascinated by it. I would sit by it and just be like, and I call, I called her my aunt. So I'd be like, please take me with you. Cause she was always going to the ashram in Mexico. So one day she finally asked my mom's permission and took me to the ashram with her. And what I can tell you guys, I think I actually never said this anywhere before, but this is true. I sat there and I felt like it was so crazy because I felt like I was home you know, and I felt so good there. Like I had never felt that before. And basically we were just like chanting Om Nana, Om, Om, Om Namah Shivaya, Om Nana, you know, and we were just meditating. And then I started asking her to bring me to the ashram and that built a relationship. And my mom and my stepdad, I mean, they had no idea what was going on because I mean, no, they knew the family very well, but they were not familiar with the Indian Eastern culture because we come from a Catholic family, it was very different. But, you know, they saw that I liked it, they visited the place, they trusted the family, and they let me go. And I really loved it. And that was the beginning, because we moved to Brazil um, about three years later. And uh, at that point, I was crying because I was going to leave the ashram, you know. And and so, I mean, visiting, I just visit like twice a month or three times, but still, I had a community. And then my mom promised me she found, my mom found a place, a Sita Yoga Ashram in Rio de Janeiro, Brazil, which was like, at the time, it was like an hour from our house, which was a hassle for her. But she, you know, was taking me to this place like, like twice a month or three times a month, once a week, whatever. And here she has other kids too. So it became kind of challenging for her, the drive, 
So one, a guy that was in there that I became friends with, and at that point I was like 13, 14, he was, he would go there into the Hare Krishna uh, temple. And the Hare Krishna temple was right by my house. So he was like, oh, come with me, come have prasad one day and come, you know, check it out. They teach the Bhagavad Gita and all this stuff. And I'm like, okay. And my mom, I asked my mom and she visited, it was right by our house. So that was kind of a big deal for, for her because, you know, the drive. So I started going to the, over there instead of the Siddha Yoga, which then became that I was going to the Krishnas as a, they call it like you're an external devotee. You don't live there. So I was going there, you know, once a week, twice a week for the next three, four years, which really informed everything in my life. I mean, I was a 15-year-old girl with my my room had posters like that already, you know. And um, and so because we don't drink in the Krishna temple, so I didn't drink when I was a teenager. I didn't eat meat. I didn't, you know, so I followed kind of all of the pillars at that time. It was, and my dream was to go to India. It wasn't, an, I was a dancer, so all my physical practice was in ballet. And then when I was like about, I think it was like 20, I was in college, we were back in the United States. I had already lived in Paris, studied dance in France. And then when we were back in the United States, um, I met someone through my dance uh, company who was a certified Ashtanga teacher by Patabi Joyce. And um, her name is Melanie Fowler, who's literally like a sister to me today. And she um, and I became very close. Uh, the Ashtanga was like the first time I had the asana, the physical practice. So I was like, whoa, I can do all of this and the physical and yoga. And then, you know, uh, my first trip to India was with her. And so, you know, so that's kind of the awakening. So when... You know, I started Ashtanga in the early 90s as well. And originally it was Beryl Bender Birch and David Swenson and then um, Nancy Gilgoff over on Maui. Um, so I, I was kind of in that for a while too. But I know that you took like about four different trips. Is that correct to India for Ashtanga and Patabi Joyce? And yeah. Mysore? Yeah. So what happened is at that point I was in college, I had a scholarship with dance. Um, I was very into, like, I thought I wanted to be a professional dancer forever, like dance teacher and all that. I was in school for dance um, kinesiology and journalism as well. And then um, my, um, the, the teacher that I met, I actually, well, I should say that before then when I was working in Paris, I danced for Euro Disney for probably like almost four years. So, you know, wow. touring and I was really in the dance thing. But when I met Melanie, the Ashtanga just was very like, you know, revealing to me that I could do this yoga practice. And it could, it was cool that these two worlds that I had were coming together, you know, the, the mental, the spiritual and the physical, because I had them separated. And then I was like, okay, this can all be together. And, um, and, you know, believe it or not, I want to tell you guys something like back then, which was like, probably when I was like full 15 or something, we're talking about um, 25 years ago, something like that. There were there were no yoga asana teachers in Rio de Janeiro. I mean, probably like one here and there, but nobody really, you know, I didn't know them. No, it wasn't like that. It wasn't like today. Like it was very like rare thing. Somebody was teaching like 
triangle or whatever it was like you know and now it's like oh my god that's not that long ago you know if you think about it but and now it's everywhere if you go to rio now it's just like here in the united states they have yoga everywhere it's everywhere yeah everywhere and so um anyway so then back to uh i started doing the ashtanga six days a week and i started uh assisting my teacher melanie fowler and apprenticing with her Again, we did not have teacher trainings back then. Not, I mean, maybe they were just starting. I don't remember if yoga works were starting them, but I certainly didn't know about many um, until like three, four years later, I started hearing about them. But then, you know, I did my apprenticeship with her and she said, if you want to learn this, you need to go to, you need to study with Patabi Joyce. So I joined him, I think it was in LA, one of his world tours. And as Guruji used to say to most people that would go talk to him, he would say, you have to come to Mysore. You have to come to India. You know, they always say, come to India, come to India. So that was kind of like, okay, if I want to do this, I have to go to Mysore. And that's, uh, that was my first trip. And each time it's like two or three months each trip. And then, you know, of course, I was practicing there like a lot of people have with Sharat, Sharat's mother, Saraswati and uh, Patabi Joys as well. And then I did four trips together. Well, that's great. Yeah, I, I spent a trip over there in, I think it was 2001, and I traveled with uh, Bikram and Rajashree and a few other teachers. We went through Rajasthan a lot, and I couldn't believe, you know, outside of all the yoga stuff, I just, I couldn't believe all the castles and temples, especially those castles are just like humongous and, you know, I didn't realize that India was like that before I went and all the yoga that we did there. And um, it was a fascinating trip. Do you feel like there was something about doing, you know, doing the yoga and that practice in India that just felt like different? Oh yeah. 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 We did yoga at the Taj Mahal too. Oh my God. What an experience. Actually right on it. Wow. Yeah. It, it was fascinating it's mind-blowing and that's what i try to explain because sometimes i'll hear people say well you know we have really great yoga in the united states and i agree i mean we do um but there's something about india that's you know that's the birth of yoga that i don't know at least for me when i was there i you can feel it you know it's in the air like you can feel it to me it's not so much about yeah doing the asana practice which is great whatever but it's also being in India, eating Indian food, hearing the sounds, the smells, the music, the culture, you know? Yeah, yeah. It was definitely a, um incredible experience. I mean, you went there four times. I only went there once, but yeah, um, yeah I, I would go back anytime. I just, I haven't gone back. I know. I'm actually due to go back too, but been, you know, life gets so busy. One time we just got to say, let's do it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Now, we, we've also talked a little bit, you really kind of did, did a lot of Ashtanga early on, and you've kind of been doing your, your own evolution and, and moving into some other practices. Yeah. Is that correct? Yeah. You, 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 so you want me to share the yoga part? I would love to. I'd love to hear it. Okay. So um, when I, 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 so I was in the New Orleans area, went to school, Melanie Fowler lived in New Orleans, worked at an Ashtanga Meister style studio for a while, uh, graduated from college and decided to move to Los Angeles, California, 
while I was in college, I did my 200 hour with someone named Gunga White and Tracy yeah. of the White Lotus Foundation. Yeah. And um, that's what was when I first started hearing about the 200 hour teacher training. And so um, did that and then got acquainted with some people at Yoga Works in Los Angeles and had actually gone a few times for trainings in LA. So that's why I was like, okay, I feel like I want to move. I want to experience, you know, I, I mean, honestly, I always moved. So I, I just felt like I had to move, which now I'm like, I don't want to move a lot anymore around. I actually don't want to travel too much right now, which is a whole nother thing. But that's because I did it so much when I was young. So I moved to uh, Los Angeles and, and um, started working at Yoga Works. I, I taught Ashtanga Yoga, Mysore style. They did not allow me to teach uh, flow yoga because I wasn't trained, 200 hour trained at Yoga Works yet. So I only had permission to teach Mysore style Ashtanga and things like that. So I did that. And I also worked at the front desk. I worked behind the scenes. I was also then moved into more of a management position at Yoga Works. It's called Yoga Advisor, was called. I don't think they have it anymore. Um, assistant manager. And so it ended up working at Yoga Works for many years um, in a bunch of their different locations. We had a regional manager um, you know, all around California area, Los Angeles area. And there I met some really incredible people, which back then I had no idea, you know, I was just starting that kind of uh, world. Um, I, I did do my 200 hour at Yoga Works um, and then did my 300 hour at Yoga Works as well. And teachers that I met back then that were still teaching there, maybe starting to fade out from teaching there were some like Sean Korn and Shiva Rea, Eric Schiffman, you know, a lot of people, Chuck and Mati is ratty, Mati is ratty. So, you know, it was really cool because, I mean, I, I didn't know that those people were going to become kind of like big mentors, you know, in a way. But these are people that worked at those studios. And um, so it was a very neat experience. I think I worked there, I don't know, for seven years or eight years, something like that. And one teacher that I met at Yoga Works, um, and I think my first flow yoga class that I, well, actually, besides Gunga White and Tracy, was with her, like out in a studio, and her name is Annie Carpenter. Mm -hmm. So Annie Carpenter um, was awesome. I worked with her at Yoga Works, and then uh, she became my main primary teacher. And at that time, I was I started shifting. It took a while, you know, it was a very organic thing. It took maybe a couple of years, but I started shifting from teaching Ashtanga Mysore to more of teaching what then became Smart Flow Yoga, which is Annie's kind of brand. Um, I assisted Annie in some of her 200-hour teacher trainings at Yoga Works. I would go to her classes, I mean, you know, as much as I could, four, five, six times a week. Uh, we worked at the same studio, so I was very lucky I did my 200 hour with her, my 300 hour with her. Um, then I then when she left Yoga Works and started Smart Flow, I I went with her to work for Exhale Center for Yoga in Venice, and um, I taught I I am Smart Flow certified by Annie Carpenter, so I teach her method. And again, let me just explain. This is we're backing up over 10 years ago, so from there to now, you know, a lot of a lot of things have happened. When I advertise on the schedule that I'm teaching Smart Flow, I teach Smart Flow. If I advertise on the schedule that I teach Ashtanga, you know, whether it's Lead Meister, then I do that. Once in a while, I still do that. 
Um, and did, you, did you get certified by Patabi Joyce? No, I did not. Mm-hmm. No. no. No, because at that time I was already sort of more in the yoga works kind of thing. And yeah. that's what became my primary thing. I got certified yeah. in, in the smart flow. In the smart yeah. flow. You, you you may have been working at the desk when I used to come into Yoga Works and yes. <laughs> started about the mid nineties. Oh yeah, for sure. Maybe yeah. two thousand and five, six, something like that. Two thousand and five to two thousand and six, I was definitely working at the front desk. Yeah. 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 And then when did Exhale open? So Exhale wasn't a, well. I think Exhale for a while was was like opened and Yoga Works yeah. was open to simultaneously. But I think Annie didn't go to Exhale until, and if Annie hears this, forgive me, I don't remember exactly, but maybe like 2011 or 2010 or 2009, something like that. Yeah. When I moved to New Orleans, you know, my, the first training I hosted in New Orleans was Smart Flow Training. Mm-hmm. Um, long story short, I've kind of, by this point in my life, I've, di- I've sort of developed uh, a practice that's, you know, um, of course, informed by all of the teachers I've ever had, but also has sort of my own uh, spin to it. I do have a training school, and it's called Shanti Yoga Training School, and I teach a very specific curriculum that is not the same as Yoga Works, not the same as Smart Flow. It's just, I would say it's sort of a hybrid. There's a lot of stuff that it's more of my Indian uh, stuff that I learned in India, you know, very Indian-based style, and then some that are that are more influenced by, I would say, um, you know, Western views, and and that has to do more with the kinesiology, safety, yeah. alignment, sequencing. Um, but the trainings that I have, both the two hundred and three hundred, are completely. Ju- it was just me. I wanted to make sure that I just kind of went into a more of a a deep meditation state and just really kind of ask myself and my higher self, what is it that I want to put into the world? And, you know, I update my trainings every year. So they're always changing. And let, let me ask you, what is it that you do want to put into the world? I mean, especially like with yoga and all of that, everybody's had like different uh, reflections and perceptions on what works for them. And what is it that you're really trying to do with your yoga? Perhaps both as a practitioner and a teacher. So as a teacher, my, my, I hate to say goal, but like, you know, my, I'd say my intention right now is to uh, assist people, hold space for people and give them a a really effective toolbox, but very practical to, to 2019 and 2020 when we come to it, you know, in a modern way a toolbox that that to empower people to become the better version of themselves so yeah. that i really believe that um you know if you live a life in light and there that's the name of we'll talk about that the book that i'm writing but um that you can make a change on a very cellular level but i know that it starts with you it starts individually and then from here we can go out you know as yoga teaches us However, um, it's very important that that we, I think that we can we take we can take responsibility for our own life, you know. And I and what I hear from my trainees, and right now I have over a hundred teachers that have graduated, and I have lots of testimonials or people who talk to me about the training, 
is that they say, wow, this really shifted my perception of a lot of stuff. Mm -hmm. And also a lot of the people that are, that do this yoga that I'm trying to do right now, um, it's really on and off the mat. There's no like separation, you know, it's like the yoga doesn't start here and end here and then start there and end. No, it's all yoga. It's all connection. So if nothing else, it's even more, I, I tell my students, if your life, like, how are, how are you living your life? And, you know, is it, is it working? You know, so like, is it working? It's like a practice of inquiry always. So if the yoga off the mat is not working, like if they're, you know, if you're like off the mat, you're a terrible person, you're doing this or nothing's working for you, then really you need to evaluate the yoga on the mat because the yoga on the mat is just a tool, just like meditation, like pranayama, like journaling, like nature, everything, you know, is a tool. But we have the responsibility to take that information and take that and not only better ourselves in our lives, but I think as um, whether you want to call it yogis or, or not, also to the planet. I think we're at a place right now on, on the evolution of Earth that um, it is not enough to to help yourself and to do this for yourself. Like you have to be a light. You are responsible. So I'll give you guys a very clear example, like simple, simple. That's what I mean. If you were, you know, if, if a cat gets hit by a car, you have to stop and you have to grab that cat and you have to take it to a vet or see what's happening. I mean, this is the thing, like nobody else is going to do it for you, whatever it is in life. Like we are responsible to better this planet. We are responsible to take action. You know what I mean? So I think that's my thing. I, I give people in my trainings a lot of, that's mainly what I do now. I mostly teach trainings or workshops. So I give them a lot of tools. Um, yeah, so we can talk about, you know, the yoga on the mat as much as we need. And we do sequencing great postures. Everybody loves it. That's great. Meditation is like my number one thing. But then, you know, um, how then I give them a lot of tools and say, okay, now take these tools and go out there and better your kid's life, your family's life, your neighbor's life, your the school that your children go to. You know, I don't know if you've ever heard this, but it is said that um, if you live in a house, okay, in your in a yogi lives, or somebody with higher consciousness and awareness lives in a house and lights up that house, it will light the whole neighborhood. Like it will affect everyone around you. So that's really where I'm at. I really feel that we can each do that for people around us. Like, okay, we have all this information. We have all these tools. We have all these amazing teachers like yourself, your podcast, you know, everybody. So what do, what's the next, what's, what's up now? Like, what do we do? You know, it's, it's time. I mean, it's happening, you know, and yoga, I, you know, I, I love yoga, but yoga is, um, it's one way, you know what I mean? And it's a, it's a, it's a way that it's like a container and it's, it has worked very well for me and it's great. I can teach people to do, but if I actually have a program now, it's called light code that are for people who first, whatever reason, to be honest, I don't even ask, don't want to do yoga or talk about yoga or have the yoga or the Sanskrit word or whatever it is. But, you know, we, we still teach stuff, forest bathing, grounding, going in nature, meditating, journaling. Okay, don't do the yoga then. Yeah. So that's what I think. I think we need to stop limiting ourselves with, 
you know, uh, limited beliefs, words, boxes, like stories, you know? Yeah. There is no box to think outside of. Right? Right. Yeah. Even in the yoga world, I mean, you know, then people are like, oh, there's a Shtanga and Bikram and Iyengar and this and that, and we can start budding. And it's like, come on. Yeah. It's all the same. We're all trying to get to the same yeah. top of the mountain, you know? Yeah. I, I know even Bikram said there's no such thing as Bikram yoga. It's just all yoga, right? Your, right. And yeah. it's, you know, and if somebody wants to run every day or power walk or kayak, you know, that's, they can do that for their stuff. Well, they can do all of it. They can do all of it. <laughs> I do all of it. Yeah, me too. So tell me a little bit about meditation. It's, I've had an interesting life because in my life, when I started doing yoga, and it's been 32 years since I started doing yoga, um, my brother had already been involved in meditation and um, was doing, he passed about a year ago, but he took this meditation path and, and I took this yoga path and, um, you know, he's taught everywhere around the world. And, you know, I just, I find it interesting. And we talked about it a couple of times that we were kind of doing the same thing, but different paths, so to speak. Right. And I, I know that, that you have integrated your yoga meditation pretty closely together and have done that for a long time. Is that correct? Yes. Yeah. So your brother teaches meditation? Uh, he was one of the first people in the world to, back in the 80s, to start using the uh, headphones and binaural beats. Oh, wow. That's yeah. so Interesting. Yeah, had a company called Centerpoint Research Institute. I don't know if you've heard of Centerpoint. No, oh, I would love to. Centerpoint or Holosync. Oh, wow. That's amazing. Yeah. I love all that. Yeah. Um, binaural beats is actually something in my teacher training that I um, require my students to practice and learn about. Yeah, well. it's um, um, when, when I started doing it, I, I had done some of it in the mid 90s. You know, I, I was already doing a lot of yoga, and it was just like, oh, isn't this nice? And, you know, my brother would do a little bit of yoga and go, oh, isn't that nice? But, like, he was doing more meditation, and I was doing more yoga. And then when I really started doing it, the um, Holosync meditation, it profoundly changed my yoga practice. Oh, yeah. Really quickly. Do you meditate every day now? Every day. Every yeah. Day. First thing when I get up in the morning. I ask you, okay. Yeah. yeah. That's usually the best scenario. That's from all the stuff that I have tested. And this is the thing. I mean, you might be like this too. I don't like to teach anybody any, anything unless I have experimented on myself. Mm -hmm. Because, I mean, if you're going to, and that's one thing I might have gotten that from Patabi Joy's, you know, um, he, he was a very good practitioner, 99% practice, 1% theory. And that was one of just practice and all is coming. These are his quotes, right? And so he was very much admin into, we have to, like, you got to practice what you teach. You, there's no, you know, if you're not practicing, you, you really need to reevaluate what you're teaching. Because in, in asana teachers too, if you're teaching 20 yoga classes a week, but you're not practicing, 
okay, something is up right there, you know? And, and as a student, you can tell the difference when you go to a class and you know that, you know, you can feel that your teacher is a practitioner and they're, you know, they're doing it. Mm-hmm. Like that's important to me and that I teach that to my students too. So when I was in the Siddha Yoga, um, you know, my, that phase of my life, they emphasize on meditation. Then when I was with the higher Krishnas, they emphasize on meditation. So we, we had that on both. And then even when I started my Ashtanga uh, journey, Patabi Joy's always uh, in his, in Mysore, India, there is one day a week that it's kind of a, a lecture, right? So everybody gets together and he would talk. And he always talked about meditation from my understanding from his family and from just being around there that he was a big meditator as well. So, um, you know, I think meditation comes up. That's what I'm saying. A lot of scriptures and a lot of yoga stuff. And so because of that, I started meditating. And then I also met someone called Professor Narasimha when I was in my early 20s, uh, 21 or 22, when I was in Mysore. A lot of people know him. He's wonderful. And he, he actually studied with Maharishi Mahesh. He was one of his uh, TM, Transcendental Meditation Teachers. Mm-hmm. Um, he might still be teaching that, you know. And so I learned, um, I went to him in India, and I started learning uh, meditation privately from him. And he lived in Mysore, and this guy was like, you know, in a white kind of cloth thing, and we just would sit there and and I was like, what are you going to tell me? Like, you know, like, what am I going to do? I was re- ready for all these high instructions. And I remember the first day we just, he, there was like a little thing on the floor and he's like, sit there and I'll sit here. And he just like, okay, we, we did, we did some breath work before. And then we just like close our, uh, yeah, we did not show it. And then just like close our, our eyes and just sat there for like almost an hour. And he's like, okay, come back tomorrow. I'm like, is there any, are you going to guide me through? Is there anything? He's like, no, that's it. <laughs> you know? And then he gave me my mantra in TM. Um, I did not, I, a lot of people asked me that. Did you pay 2000? No, I didn't. That was in India. It was just donation based, you know, I just gave him whatever I could. It wasn't, but this guy worked with, um, you know, he was like a legit TMT. He worked, Maharishi Mahesh was his teacher. So it was pretty cool. And um, anyways, every trip I went back, I did that with him. And he really kind of put in my head that I had to do the transcendental meditation or whatever meditation you can, you know, every day. So um, when I sometimes, you know, I've had times in my life that I couldn't meditate and I try almost every day. And but what I can tell you guys was funny because I was having this conversation the other day um, that last week, you know, there's a say, say when you're, when you're so busy and you can't meditate, right? That's when you should be meditating the most, right? Of course. Yep. So I got really, really busy like 10 days ago and I literally just like stopped meditating because I was so bu- I had a project I had to complete and I was just getting up and going and going. And about three, four days later, I started noticing that a lot of stuff in my life was feeling different. Relationships, family, friends stuff. It was just like I, I, had a, I had a moment, like I recognized it. I said, okay, what's going on? Like, I'm not feeling like myself. So I started looking at like everything that, what am I doing, not doing different? And then immediately it hit me, you're not meditating. So I said, hmm, I took a deep breath and I was like, okay. 
So if I'm going to, I promise this, I still had like crazy schedule the next, you know, few days where I said, I'm going to wake up and like regularly do my 20 minute meditation first thing in the morning. And then let me check in with myself again in three days. So I started doing that. And three, like four days later, three, four days later, it was like, I woke up and I was myself again. Like, it was like, whoa, like everything was back to normal. And I said, okay, this is so wild. I mean, it's not that I didn't know that, but I sort of experienced that on a really deep level, you know, that I had like an awakening almost that it was like, okay, the first words that came to my mind was I came, I'm back to myself. Welcome back to myself. So then I really realized and learned with this that, oh my God, meditation is everything. I mean, it's just so important to sit and breathe. And it does, if you want to do guided, do guided. Some of my students need guided. I recommend Headspace. There's others, whatever you want to do. But sometimes it's like, just sit and breathe. And if you can do five minutes, do five minutes. You can do 10 minutes, do 10 minutes, 20 minutes, whatever you can do. I like 20 minutes. I like in the morning, like you. Um, you know, Marianne Williamson, who we talked a little bit about before this call, who I love, teacher of A Course in Miracles, says five minutes spent with spirit in the beginning of your day, however it is that that means prayer, meditation, whatever, will, will literally change your whole day. Oh, absolutely. It plugs us right in, so to speak, you know. Yeah. And that's yeah. amazing. You know, it's amazing. And it's so easy because you can do it anywhere. It doesn't cost anything. I mean, you know, so I'm very grateful for my meditation practice. I feel like I'm a different person with it. I feel like it affects everything around me and uh, the people, my relationships, you know, so I'm a better person to others because I meditate and that's important. Yeah. Well, you, you know, it's interesting too, in today's world, so many people are, are meditators and, you know, even Steve Jobs, you know, he was uh, deeply connected with Yogananda, Paramahansa Yogananda. And the story goes that when he passed on his iPad, he only had one book on his iPad, which was autobiography of a yogi. Wow, that gives and, Yeah. And so, I mean, there's more to it. We don't have enough time to, to talk about all of it today, but, the, the power of meditation in today's world has become so profound and, and so many people are now beginning to recognize it. Um, just, you know, I just want to say in everyday life, you don't have to be a yogi meditating in a cave somewhere. I mean, just to, to live life to its fullest and having that connection really with, with life and, and the universe and meditation practice um, we're able to really connect at a deeper level, I think is the way that I want to say it. Yeah, and also this this sense, this deep sense of inner peace. Yeah. That sometimes, you know, one thing was that time I was telling you guys I was feeling more anxious, even affecting my sleep patterns. And usually I sleep very well and I feel more kind of centered and grounded. And I feel like this, yeah, so like just, just by meditating, I could feel less anxiety, you know, less anxiety, close to none. I could sleep better. I could also have this sort of like inner state of peace. That's so important to me. And not to say, you know, the many times that I've meditated that has given me 
so much creativity. It was through meditation that I wrote my book. Through meditation, I wrote my 200-hour training, my 300-hour training. When we create space for the new, it's kind of magic happens. But yeah. when you're like in the monkey mind 24-7, it's very hard for anything that is inspiration, creativity, divine light, you know, if you want to call it like that, to come down through you, divine through light. So, and another thing that I love about meditation is that it's, it's something that we can access at our own will. So in other words, it's, um, it's something that is sustainable. It's something that, you know, I can, by my own will, without any outside sources, no plant medicine, nothing like that. I'm not talking about that. I'm yep. talking about pure consciousness and awareness. I can go back to that. And that's the kind of awakening that, you know, in my journey, I am interested in. I'm interested in, in something that I can, at my own will, you know, connect back to it. Because um, there's, there's other forms nowadays. A lot of people talk about, you know, plant medicine and all these things. And, you know, I, I can't speak much for it. I don't have much experience with that. But for me, it's not that interesting. And mm -hmm. the reason why it's not that interesting is because I don't really, I'm, not, I'm on a journey of uh, that I don't want outside influences and sources in my body temple and body, mind, spirit to alternate me in a, in a way that it's not accessible for me to go there again. So the one thing I love about meditation and yoga practice is that, you know, you can roll your mat down and you can do your sunset or whatever it is that you do. And you can, you know, sit and meditate. And we, and these are, these are places that we can go at will back, you know? So that's, I think something that's really powerful too. Yeah. Really besides yeah. Uh, yeah. any forms. Uh I, I know that we could talk about this for a very long time, but we've, believe it or not, only got about five minutes left. And I know that you have a book coming up. I don't know exactly when it will be released. Release, I understand it's in the final edit. Um, Living Life in Light, I believe is your, your title to it. Can you tell the listeners a little bit about your book? Yeah, my book is basically, um, you know, it's it's all these years that what brought me to where I am. It was very challenging because when I started writing Live a Life in Light, which what I was telling you guys is just about where I am, which is really um, making choices each and every day with everything that we do, you know, having intention and really kind of living a life that that you're not a victim. You take your own chances and you you you're in charge and it's about tools i i offer you guys things that worked for me in my own life experience and obviously my perspective and i show it to you guys but without saying do this and this will happen just kind of like try this i mean there's simple things such as gardening and you know going in the sun and eating healthy organics non-gmo and i mean a lot of the stuff but in my word through my journey I did have to include my yoga journey there as well, which in the beginning I didn't. So I wrote it without the yoga journey because I wanted to be kind of broad. And then um, I was told that by many feedback that I actually needed to go in. And so then I, I went in and presented, you know, my journey as a yogi as well. And the eight limbs of yoga is there as well as Drishti Bandha's breath and all of the techniques in yoga that have functioned and worked for me. 
So things are there, but just sort of as a an exploration of life and what could work for you and whatnot. And just, you know, hopefully this will be, again, another thing in your toolbox that you can pick up, read, you know, and if, if, if some stuff uh, speaks to you, great. And whatever doesn't work, that's okay too. And it was um, a book that I just organically needed to write and it just really kind of happened organically. Um, I do a lot of writing for my trainings. So this is really just kind of compiling a lot of things that was just sort of all over into one sort of place. Yeah, yeah, yeah that's great. I know I know. even my, my book, my Falling Down, Getting Up book, it took me, I call it 10 years and 79 days to write it because, you know, I had it there for 10 years and I had some notes on it, but then I made a 90-day commitment to finish it, and I finished it in 79 days. Wow, that's awesome. And I, I never submitted it to a publisher. I bumped in, I literally bumped into a publisher in New York, and the following week we had an agreement um, to publish the book. Oh, wow. That's amazing. And it just, like, unfolded. And, and I think, like, your book, from what, what I hear from your book, it just kind of unfolded, and it's about ready to be put out there. And I love stories, and I love personal stories. And I think anything that we can do to talk about our experience that might help other people in the world today is really powerful because it's really storytelling over the years and centuries and eons you know, sitting around fires in different places telling stories that, you know, civilization has really moved as a result of that, and a result of that interaction and where people can heal emotionally and on so many different levels. Yeah, that's beautiful that you said that. And, you know, the part that was mostly challenging was talking about yoga because I just felt, I just feel, I have such, you know, respect for the practice and I just felt like, it's so broad that in a way I was like, who am I to speak about this? You know, yeah. like something that was challenging to speak about that. But then, you know, hopefully I did the best I could to be <laughs> ambassador of yoga. Yeah. You know, it means a lot of different things for different people. And I really respect and I honor that in each and every person. Yeah. Yeah. That's great. Well, um, again, we've come to the end of our time. I, I, I want to mention on the website where your episode will, will be at fallingupradio.com. Um, you, there will be links there for anybody to contact you. Um, but for the, the people that are on Stitcher or Apple podcast or wherever they may be listening, where's one easy place for them to find you? Maybe a, uh, one of your websites. Yeah. Go so my Instagram is a good place. It's uh, at Natalie Cry. It's N A T H A L I E C R O I X, and my website is nataliecry.com. Perfect. So they can get hold of you through the website if they want to. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Great. And I'd love to be able to talk to you in the future more about your book when it comes out, and hearing more about that and, and how. Um, that all of that will unfold. Yeah, it will be fun. It would be really yeah. fun. Yeah. 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 Thank you. Yeah. So, so hold on. Um, again, it's really great that, that to talk to you, to find out more about you and to, to listen to your story. And I think one of the things that, that, that I learned that, that maybe the listeners 
Um, I don't know what, what the listeners, what your experience is. Everybody's a, a little bit different, but what I found is, is, and what I heard from you and part of what I learned is that just through our yoga and our meditation practice, we have that ability to evolve and grow and to be of service and, and to help of, of other people. And I think that's a wonderful, beautiful message to share. Yeah, thank you for, for doing saying that. And that's exactly it. I mean, you know, start with yourself and then from there, you know, help other people around you, assist. I don't even like the word help. It's just everybody's in their own journey, but hold space, be present, be present in the moment, which is really important. And um, yeah, I think uh, for all of us who are in this uh, journey of soul evolution, we, we are at a point on planet Earth right now that it's not enough to only take care of ourselves. We have to really show up yep. for everything for the people around us, our neighbors, people we don't know in the group, you got to be the light. Yeah. And, um, that's really powerful. Yeah. Yeah. So thank you again for being here. And again, I look forward to talking to you uh, more about the book and your journey. And um, I'm glad that we were able to connect. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah. Bye. So, all the, all the listeners, we'll talk to you soon. Again, go to the website for more information, fallingupradio.com. You can uh, get a free copy of this book, Falling Down, Getting Up There as well. And um, tell your friends about this and share this with everybody that you know, maybe even post it on your uh, Facebook page or whatever social media that you use and um, help spread the message. So we'll talk to you soon, Natalie, and, and thank you, listeners. And um, have an amazing, wonderful day.